You guys may be seated. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, um, it's going to be, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew there. Uh, go ahead and feel free to grab that. It's yours to, to keep if you want it. If you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. Um, if you've got a Bible, leave it here for somebody else. Uh, but Galatians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning, is in that text. Galatians chapter 3. The gospel... The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, the good news, the gospel, is God-centered. Amen? It's God-centered. It is not a man-centered thing. We need to make sure that we grasp this fully. The day in which we live, many people stand behind desks just like this, sacred, holy desks just like this and preach a gospel that is more man-centered it's more i-centered we have worship that is more i-focused that's all about me the gospel is christ or god-centered the gospel starts with god not with man vody bakum said that god did not stumble upon mankind and volunteer to be our savior he, he did not He did not stumble in on this. Rather, he created us. He authored us. He authored everything. And as a result of this, the gospel is God-centered. So I want us to to keep that in mind as we we go into Galatians chapter 3 and and see what Paul has for us in Galatians. Remember, he's writing to several churches in Galatia because what? They've wandered off from the truth. They've wandered off from the truth of the gospel and they've they've wandered into myths and fables. So Paul starts in chapter 3 and he continues with this shock and awe. So we're just going to go into chapter 3 verse 1. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness? So Paul goes in and he starts in and he continues in chapter 3 and he's got this shock and awe. He says, oh foolish Galatians. He's just in shock that they've still fallen short. They've fallen for this ruse. They've, they've fallen for a false teaching of the gospel that is, that's man-centered. That you could do certain things. That it's a man-centered gospel. That they've fallen for this trick. He calls them foolish and then asks them, did someone cast a spell on you? Some of the, some of the texts says, you know, were you bewitched? Did someone, did someone cast a spell over you to make you believe the silliness, the foolishness of a man-centered gospel? Ah. And remember, remember in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul also tells us the purpose of the gospel. He says, in him... In Christ, we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's 
grace. So Christ comes in, lives a perfect life, and becomes the perfect substitute for our sins by shedding his blood. And there were some that were saying that that's not enough for salvation. It's not enough for salvation. When God himself said it was enough for salvation, there were human beings who were saying, no, that's not enough. He's got to keep the, 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 the law. He's got to be circumcised. He's got to do certain good works. He's got to make certain things happen. And so Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians. Like, feel the weight of what Paul says here. He looks at the, at the church and says, are you really this silly? Are you really, is somebody cast a spell over you? Oh, how foolish are people who think that Christ is not enough. That we think we've got to add our good works, add our church attendance, add our church membership, add our, our last name to whatever we think the gospel is. It's just insane to think that, that salvation by grace through faith alone by God himself is not enough. And here's the thing. We live in a sophisticated day and age. And we won't come out and say things like this, like, oh, I don't think Christ is enough. Like, there's nobody in their right mind who will say, oh, I don't think Christ is enough. But our actions scream otherwise. Our actions scream otherwise. They, they t- we, we say that um, we'll do all kinds of certain things and we think that God owes us something. Like, we'll, we'll give or we'll be a part of a group or we'll we'll read our bible in order to put god in our debt there are people that think that god owes them something when in reality god doesn't owe us anything god could and has every right to rip the roof off of this building this morning and reach down and kill every single one of us in here and no one could say he was unjust in doing so why Because we are a sinful creation that has committed treason against the holy God. He has every single right to do these things. And there is a death penalty that has been placed on our ledger. But here's the the beautiful fact of the reality of who God is. Is that the God of the universe comes into our timeline. And he sheds his blood on our behalf, offers redemption and gives us forgiveness. And what do we do? Instead of accepting that gift through faith, what we do is we muddy the waters, we muddy the waters of the pure waters of the gospel with our good deeds. And so Paul has this this idea in in chapter 3, verse 2. Look at verse 2. Let me ask you this again. Did you receive by the Spirit, or did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, if you remember, if you remember Romans, which is also written by Paul, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith cometh by. Come on, guys, let's go. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So where did, we, where did he says, where did you get this? That you had to have some sort of works. Was it, was it your works? Was it you keeping the law? Now you remember Romans chapter 3 says that, that the law was never given to any of us in order so that we can keep it. It was given for what purpose according to Romans chapter 3? As a schoolmaster to tell us that we wouldn't measure up. So how do we, how do we come to know Christ? Was it by the law, keeping the deeds of the law, or was it by 
faith. Was it by hearing and by faith? He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit. So there was those that had begun. And there's, there's people right now. There are denominations that teach this right now. That you're saved by grace, but you're kept by your works. There are major U.S. denominations that teach this. That you're saved by God's grace, but you're kept by your good works. So God's grace was big enough to save you, but it's not good enough to keep you. So this, was like, this is the example. I'm saved by God's grace at, the, at church or wherever I'm at. God saves me. I pray. I repent. And then I go out and I slam my hand in the door and I cuss. And then I lose my salvation. And now all of a sudden, my, me keeping up my good works is going to keep me saved. Paul says here, listen. Did you begin with the Spirit and now you have to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so much? Did you suffer so much to realize that this was all in vain? If indeed it is in vain. So he's saying, listen, you're not saved by grace and kept by your works. You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace. God's grace is either more than sufficient, more than enough, or it's not good enough at all. You cannot mix works and grace and and works, faith and works. You can't mix those two things. They're not in the same boat. Now... As a result of being saved, there will be good works that are manifested in your life, but you're not kept in the good graces of God by your good works. It is, rather, you're, you're kept in the graces of God by the grace of God alone. And I'm telling you guys, if humanity understood, if humanity could understand what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, this building could not hold all the people that would want to be here. We would have to have people out front with stun guns saying, no, no, no more. You can't come in. Like if people understood what Christ has done on our behalf, this place, you could, like the, the rafters would be full. We'd have to put chairs behind us with, with this. But we live, we're like, we live in a world that's short-sighted. We, we live in a religious system that's short-sighted. That, do, that we do not truly consider the things of Christ as we should. We like to speculate and have conjecture and use flowery, or just theological language. It sounds really flowery and real pretty to try to sound spiritual. This is the fun buzz thing is, oh, I'm spiritual. Are you a Christian? Oh, I'm spiritual. What does that mean? So's so's the devil. <laughs> the devil's spiritual too. But in the end, if we're honest, if we're honest about this, what we do is we don't want to obey Christ because we want, we want to obey our our own flesh and we want to do what we want to do. So Paul asked the question in verse four. He says. Did you suffer so many things? And the word suffer here, I know that my, my translation says suffer. But if you look at the actual Greek word, it's the word experience. Did you experience so many things in vain? Did you experience Christ in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by keeping the law or by Hearing by faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Is that which one which one is it? He's asking the question. Did you experience Jesus so real and so authentically that now you say, Well, I know I experienced Jesus by grace, but now I have to keep him by, you know, making sure I don't cuss or or flip out or get angry? How many of us in this in this room have been angry this last week? 
because we're in church, so you can't lie. Just saying. I got angry. I think my wife may have been angry with me this morning. But, okay, fair enough. She said yes. So, I, granted, I was, I deserved her anger because I was being a little bit of a, me, I was, sometimes when I, when I find out that there's a way to, to, to get under my wife's skin, husbands, can I get an amen from somebody? How many of us as husbands like to get under our wife's skin just for fun sometimes? Darren, don't, don't look at me like that. You're not on camera. I am. Heather, does he do that to you sometimes? Okay, let's see. She's honest for you. That's good. But this, like, this, this idea of experiencing God, experiencing the, the, the regenerative work that Christ does in us, like, he literally is asking them the question, have you experienced so much of the goodness of God, yet you still are short-sighted on who and what God has done for you? Like, I need you guys to hear me. God truly is good to us. Amen? You say, well, how do I know that, Caleb? You woke up. Like, you woke up and you're able to breathe. That you are able to take a breath is a revelation of God's goodness towards you. Amen? Like, that's, that's the, the proof in this. You woke up. Yet we still have people who refuse to obey and, and follow Christ. We just... The people, they have this claim that they're a follower of Jesus. But yet, they don't want to follow Jesus. Pastors should not, the church should not have to beg people to want to be a part of the things of God. Pastors should not have to compel people and beg Christians to show up at church. Although we do... Because we know that there's the truth of what God's got for us here. But we shouldn't have to beg people to be a part of what God's got. We shouldn't have to be like, please show up. Please come. Please be a part of this. But pastors do. Because why? We know that what, we're in, what we read in this book is the truth. And if, like I said, if people could truly understand the goodness of who God is, man, you could not pack any more people in this room. Amen? Like, we should long for holiness. We should long for righteousness. We should long to want to be together with those who are in the, the, the fellowship of faith, to hear the gospel proclaimed, to sing songs of praise to His name. It should be a natural outflowing of your life. There should be a natural outflowing of your life that you want to be a part of these things. And let me tell you, if you're not... If, you're, if it's not a natural outflowing, there's something that's wrong. And what needs to happen is you need to do what 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says. And examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself to see whether you even be in the faith. Like a Gallup poll from 2017 said fewer than f- 1 in 4 Americans, 24% now believe that the Bible is actually the word of God. And it's to be taken literally. Like that's, that's, that's a research poll from a Gallup poll. And that's from 2017. That's a couple years ago. I'd be interested to see what that number is today in 2020. At that time, one in four, one in four do not believe that this is the inspired, inerrant word of God and to take it literally. David Platt once wrote, he said, according to research, almost four out of every five Americans identify themselves as Christians. But 
In this group of self-proclaimed Christians, less than half of them are involved in church on a weekly basis. Less than half of them believe the Bible is true. An overwhelming majority of them don't have a biblical view of the world around them. So researchers went in deeper than to distinguish men and women who were born-again Christians as if there's any other kind of Christian, but they they put in two different kinds of, of, of categories. But these people who say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus, they believe they'll go to heaven because they've accepted Christ as their Savior. And according to the research, nearly half of Americans are born-again Christians. That's in quotes. But you look at this group of born-again Christians, and researchers found that their beliefs and lifestyles are virtually indistinguishable from the world around them. Many born-again Christians believe their works can earn them a place in heaven. Others think that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Some believe that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. And an ever-increasing number of born-again Christians just describe themselves as marginally committed to Christ. So people, you don't have to use the data like this to conclude that Christians are really... We don't have to use the data here to see that Christians are really not that different from the rest of the world according to this research. But I think that it's the interpretations of the researchers are accurate, I think that the ones who think, I'm sorry, I think the one thing that's abundantly clear from those statistics is that there are a whole lot of people in our country who think they are Christians, but they really, truly are not. And there are scores and scores and scores of people here and around the world who culturally distinguish themselves as Christians and biblically are not followers of Christ. That's from David Platt a couple years ago. So there's a lot of people who culturally distinguish themselves as born-again Christians, but they are not biblical followers of Christ. So this is why Paul is saying all these things because they've got people wandering in. This is why. This is how people wander off into, as 2 Timothy chapter 4, 4 calls it, myths and fables. We, as, we have people in churches that wander off into myths and fables when they don't have a firm foundation in God's word. They're susceptible to worldview attacks. Men and women are susceptible to worldview attacks when we're not anchored and grounded into this word. The the anchor holds, as we sang this morning, the anchor holds. It holds. This is why we as people of God must make a clear declaration that God's word, Jesus' word, is the primary authoritative structure in our lives. It's the single point of authority for a believer. And that the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation by grace through faith alone, alone, alone. It is the single point for us as believers to have. We must 
There is a war that is waging for our hearts and for our minds. And the enemy does not take a day off. The enemy does not take a day off. He wants to discourage Christians. He wants to discourage the lost world. He wants to be an irritation in the sides of everyone. He does not take a day off. He is constantly making inroads to try to cause you to trip up. Let me tell you something. Satan and his minions probably know more about you than you know about yourself. They, they do it. They study us. Because they want to try to cause us to slip up. They want us to try to fall into myths and fables. Man, the devil loves church. Like he's involved in church. He's involved in religion. He's up to his eyeballs in religion. And he's constantly trying to figure out ways to cause people to trip up. This is why we must wage war like our lives dependent on it. Because they do. Our lives depend upon us making war. Our lives depend upon what we believe about Christ. What we believe about His Word. And if we just think, oh, this is just a good book. And it's just an inspiring book. And it's just a nice book. But it's not the final authority for my life. Man, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be anchored in. You're going to be tossed to and fro by whatever doctrinal wind comes thrown down the pike. Like I look at, I, I look at guys my age that... And when I was younger, in my 20s, they were anchored into solid theology and they just started like giving bits and pieces away of, well, I don't want to, in, in the name of unity, I don't, I'm going to let them just come through the door and we'll, we'll let whatever doctrine you want come in. You want to be able to speak in tongues without like an actual interpreter? Well, I don't want to cause anybody to be offended, so do what you want. You want to slap people and be slain in the spirit? You want to you believe this? You want to believe that? Let's just have unity. Like, guys, I'm going to tell you, Biblical Christianity divides. It separates the sheep from the goats. Like true, real, authentic, Bible-believing Christians are different. And according to Matthew chapter 7, the road is narrow and it's difficult to get in. It's difficult. So we've got to anchor ourselves. We've got to wage war. And we're told exactly how to do that in Ephesians chapter 5. You got to put on all the armor. The full armor of God must be put on every single day. And for some of us, it's hourly. We got to put it on. Amen? Anybody else? Sometimes it's hourly for me. Oh, yeah, the helmet. Oh, I got to get my helmet back on. Whew. Where's my breastplate? Hurry up. Where'd it go? Where's my sword? Where's my sword? We don't just coast in our faith, it's alive and it's active. Like, I don't just coast in my marriage. Like, if I just said, you know, if I just coasted in my marriage and talked to Jamie once a week, like, I don't just, like, I actually have conversations with her. I don't just, like, let it coast. Because guess what? Eventually, if I just let my marriage coast and I don't do some maintenance on it, and I don't show her that I love her, I don't take care, like, if I don't do that, eventually it's going to cause problems. Like, the same idea here is, like, that, that work out your salvation it doesn't mean you're saved by your works it means to be like be active in what you're doing in your faith you don't just you don't just coast in your faith you study God's word so you you're close to the Lord scripture says that you study to show yourself approved you you pour over the word you read it you so Caleb you're the pastor you're supposed to do that 
No, all of us, if you're a believer, you should be doing this. Like, I, it's, I, I'll never forget, Vody Bauckham said this once. And in, in his church, there was a young man who studied the Word a lot, and talked, about the, talked about God all the time, and the Bible. And they said, well, you know what? You need to go to seminary. Which, I'm not against seminary, but they said, because he had this proclivity to study God's Word, well, you need to go to seminary because maybe God's calling you to be a pastor he said well maybe but that should not be an odd thing that Christians want to study God's word it should be the normative thing that Christians want to study God's word we shouldn't be like what Andy wants to study God's word well we better put him in seminary like no he's a believer in God he should be studying God's word he should want to know you you and I should want to know about the things of the Lord Jesus Christ as his followers amen like that shouldn't be just an abstract abstract thought that just a couple of people in the church want to study God's word like I think that's the problem in the church is that nobody's studying God's word and we've left it to one or two guys and said, it's your job to evangelize. No, hogwash. It's all of our jobs to evangelize. Amen? It's all of our jobs to do something that God's put us in. He, God didn't say in Matthew 28, go make disciples if you've gone to seminary, if you teach Sunday school, if you're a pastor. He said, go make disciples. Go. Period. Go do it. And I think what's happening in the world around us is that we've grown stagnant in our faith. Churches have grown stagnant and complacent in our faith. And rather than obeying and following the Lord Jesus Christ, we're obeying and following after what men want. So back to this idea at the beginning of Galatians where Paul says, Am I now seeking the approval of men? Or am I seeking the approval of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Like this is why Paul is so fired up in Galatia. He's saying, guys, listen. What you're doing is you've grown stagnant and cold in your relationship towards me. You've allowed false doctrine to creep into your church. And it's time for you to stop. What's the answer then? Repentance. Repentance. Here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit has placed the conviction on your heart that you need to repent, don't try to tell yourself, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I'll deal with it later. Because here's what happens. That's how you get cold, calculated bumps on logs in churches. We need men and women who are receptive to the Holy Spirit's pricking of our hearts when he convicts you on an issue you need to repent you know what I mean? oh, not me i don't need to repent not me i am a rock i am an island none of us are a rock or an island if the holy spirit lays something on you you need to repent because what happens is you fast forward 20 year, 20 years and you don't deal with what god's given you and then you're just like why is it that the Word of God is cold? Why is it that church is boring? Why is it? Because, well, there was a long time ago, there was a long time ago that God put something on your heart to do in repentance or in, in, in obedience, and you said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And so God has, you're, you're at, this, you're at the, the bottom of the ladder, you're down here on the bottom of the ladder, and the Lord said, 
20 years ago, hey, you need to go ask for forgiveness. Won't do it. You need to go get right with sister so-and-so. You need to go get right with brother so-and-so. I will not do it. The Lord says, okay, I'm just going to leave you there. And then you fast forward 20 years and you should become so cold, so calculated, so bitter, so angry. And you're like, where's God? Well, he's the same place he's always been. He's the same place he's always been. You're still just stuck here. What you need to do is do what God told you to do. Okay, I need to go get right with sister so-and-so. Sister so-and-so, will you please forgive me? Oh, freedom has been given. You've, you've advanced. You've advanced in your faith. Why? Because you were obedient with what God told you to do. And then go to the next level. Because you obey Christ. And the moment you stop obeying what God's called you to do, you stand still and you become stagnant, cold, and complacent. And you're just like, why, is they, why are things not working? Because you're disobeying God. God's given you a directive to do something. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't care. That's what God told you to do. Okay, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to go talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Man, look at the freedom that brought. Wow, I just feel close to the Lord. Wow. The Bible feels alive. Why? Because you're doing what God's called you to do. You're obedient and you're stepping in faith. The next phase and the next phase and the next phase. So the answer is repentance. And walking in the forgiveness of Christ is truly the most freeing thing we have to experience. And we see it in chapters in verse 6. Exactly how we see exactly how people are saved throughout all time. From the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, we're saved by faith. How do we know? Because the Bible says in verse 6, listen. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So he believed God by faith. Just like you and I believe God by faith, we're saved. And then he keeps going in verse 7, 8, and 9. Know then that it is those, I'm sorry, know then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foretelling that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So the gospel was preached to Abraham and he believed it. And as a result of believing it, he was saved. So the gospel was preached to him. And as a result of that, verse 9 says, So then those who are of faith are blessed among Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus is gathering people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every skin color to himself. Why? To bring glory to his name. To bring glory to his name. So I'm telling you this morning, take heart. God is in the evangelizing business and he's doing a bang-up job because he's going to get who he's going to get. So don't be discouraged with the world around us. As Matthew chapter 24 verse 13 says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Don't give up hope. Like, stay true to what Christ has laid in front of you. Be obedient to what God's done in your life and follow His commands. Like I said before, walking in the forgiveness of Christ is truly one of the most freeing things that you and I will ever experience as believers. Can I get an amen from somebody? A couple of you. 
Like that's like seriously, I say this often, but that should cause us affection to be our affections to stir towards the Lord in such a way that we can't keep quiet. Amen. Like that should cause in us an excitement and a joy to know that God called us, that God redeemed you, that the God of the universe came after you, even though you were a mess. And that should cause us to, oh, I don't have to. Like, I, I've said it. We shouldn't have people begging people to come to church. Like, I, you don't have to beg me to come here. I, I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I have I've been, longed to be a part of the body of Christ for decades. Because I love the people of God. Why? Because Christ lives in us and as a result of Christ living in us we have a kindred bond and guess what you're my neighbor for eternity <laughs> Marsha I'm coming to your house to borrow some sugar and some butter later that's why that's why in, in heaven just, I'm going to be that guy hey it's me again and guess what you're not going to be annoyed because all of our sin natures are going to be gone you're going to be like come on in my mansion's your mansion. Come on in. Let's fellowship. Right? Andy, I'm coming to have, I'm coming to visit you. He's like, oh boy. Like that's this should cause us to get excited. Don't be foolish like the people of Galatia. Rather, like get anchored in the word of God, and this is the anchor we hold to in a world that is messy right now. Is the world messy? Can I get an amen? Yeah, the world's a mess. This is the anchor that we hold to, that we stand firm on and say, this is the solid rock upon which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Woo! Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.